before we get to this week's show, we want to tell you about another show, Planet Money. The team at Planet Money has gone into the oil business. Over the next two weeks, Planet Money is buying crude oil straight from the source and following it all the way to your gas tank. In classic Planet Money style, they are demystifying the ordinary systems of our economy with humor. What happens, for instance, when you try to pay cash for 100 barrels of oil? Find out on Planet Money this week and next on NPR One. You can find NPR O-N-E in your app store. Hey, Lauren. What can we help you with? Well, Elliot got swords as gifts for all his groomsmen for the wedding that we're having. And we were wondering... I, I'm pretty opposed to them wearing them in the ceremony, but we were wondering if there was a way we could incorporate the swords into the reception in a fun way. Uh, I guess my first question is, uh, Elliot, why? Uh, I will respond with my own question, which is, why not? Um, uh, wait a minute. So you said you said swords. What kind of swords? Um, they're kind of sabers, I guess. I'm not a, a sword expert. They do. They the handles are a dragon. Yeah, they, they do. That could be important. Handles. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Worth noting. Are these? I mean, are these the real deal? Could could uh, sort of really uh, could a bloody battle break out at your wedding? I think if it were to get bloody, they'd have to be trying really hard. Okay. Um, the the reviews on Amazon say that they are not good swords for sword fights. Okay. You got these swords on Amazon. Yeah. Do you get those uh, via Prime? Is it like next day? Yeah, two day shipping. It was great. Dang. Do the uh do the do the brides maids have any uh Yeah, what weapons do they have? <laughs> we we are leaving them unarmed and vulnerable. Oh, that was really thoughtless of us. That was poor planning on our part. Maybe some shields? We can get them here in two days if we need it. <laughs> <laughs> uh Ellie, what what kind of reaction did you get from your groomsmen when you gave them these swords? Well, they actually don't know yet. Um, okay. I'm anticipating a positive reaction. Mm-hmm. I have populated my life with the kind of people who would want to get swords as a gift. Yeah. Uh, Nerds would be another word for that. <laughs> Shorthand. <laughs> now, well, Elliot, will you have a sword? Uh, yes, I also have a sword. Okay, so if at any moment during the wedding, if they do that thing where if there's anyone who says this couple shouldn't get married, <laughs> you'll be ready. ready to... Take yeah. them down. Yeah. All right. We're gonna try and we're gonna try and find a way that you can have these swords be a part of things without it becoming a bloodbath that uh, we all regret. Yeah. Thank good. you. That we, that would be a great uh, to not have my wedding be a bloodbath. Yeah. We'd hate to get blood on our dress after all. Okay. Probably the most famous uh, wedding with swords happened recently on the TV show Game of Thrones. The Red Wedding, and we won't get into it if you're not a Game of Thrones person, other than to say it is the most horrible, violent, stabby wedding um, probably in the history of all fiction and nonfiction. It's completely shocking. Imagine if at Monica and Chandler's wedding, Ross killed Monica and Chandler. Michael McElhatton played Roos Bolton on Game of Thrones. He was in that scene, uh, did some stabbing himself. So, Michael, you are someone who uh, is known for your your role or presence at a wedding that had swords. Yes. How did that work okay. out? Okay, and are you, are you, how, how did that work out? Well, you know, the thing about swords are they 
they take a little bit of practice. They're rather cumbersome things. You know, they 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 hang at a slight angle to your leg. Mm-hmm. So uh, I would recommend that there's a little bit of practice in your house or your apartment before you actually go to the wedding. You know, it, it can be tricky, particularly sitting down at a table. So I, what I don't know if you if you want to brainstorm a kind of fun way to use the swords that would result in zero deaths. Well, I think a, a nice thing would be maybe when the bride arrived at the church or whatever venue it was, if the various groomsmen, you know, stood either side and made a kind of an arch across the swords above that the, you know, bride could possibly walk underneath. That would be, might be something that would be quite nice. Mm-hmm. It might come in handy for, for cutting the cake later on ah. in a rather spectacular fashion. Yes. Or what I always favor is the, is the dagger placed, you know, secretly behind the waistband. I think that is uh, something that is uh, generally preferably easier to uh, conceal and hide and also very, very useful for uh, cutting cakes or whatever else you need to do. <laughs> yes. Whatever else you need to puncture at a wedding. That was just, I just have to say that was terrifying hearing you say that. Michael, are you ever, are you ever struck by uh, game fans of the books and TV show who have Game of Thrones themed weddings, given that show's association with weddings? I know it's bizarre, isn't it? Friends of mine have done it, and it's uh, it's extraordinary. Wait, People friends of yours have done it? Well, a, fr- a friend of a friend of mine did it. Yeah, and once it recently. Um, he knew about four or five of the Game of Thrones people, so we all kind of phoned in video messages, and oh, okay. the woman just couldn't believe it. But they literally made an Iron Throne and everything to sit in, and it was, wow. it was extraordinary, extraordinary. I think if I'm the groom, you're the last person I want to see show up at my wedding. <laughs> yeah. yeah, funny enough, I, I don't think I've been to invited to any weddings since that oh, that man. it aired. Yeah, which is kind of understandable, I guess. You know, we we were speaking just before we got on the phone with you about about the red wedding scene and how it's it was hard to watch. It was it's even hard now, a couple years later, to think about. I wonder if it, you know, being a part of it and being an actor in it, if if it was a difficult scene to even film. Well, it was an extraordinary scene to film. I think we took five or six days to film it. You know, towards the end, it was uh, Rob Stark's last day and. Michelle Fairley's last day and uh, Una Chaplin's last day and quite a few others last day and they'd been in it for three years so there was a huge amount of emotion running and uh, it was very very palpable on set. That's interesting I, I hadn't thought about it that way before that it's it's both this pivotal scene in the storyline of the show and so filming it uh, has has the emotions associated with that but it's also you know it's a time where you're saying goodbye to several people you work with. Yeah, I think I, definitely, and I think you know Michelle and uh, and Richard particularly who had been in it from the start, and you know obviously we're we're sad to leave it, and uh, understood that that it was in the books and in that it was coming, but I knew I was going to stay on, so it was less emotional for me. <laughs> <laughs> I pity them for their pain, but I knew I was coming back next season. Before we let you go, uh, as someone who, uh, not as Michael, but as Roose Bolton, someone who has ruined at least one wedding, do you, do you have any final thoughts or uh, well wishes for Lauren and Elliot as they embark on this journey together? 
Uh, well, listen, I wish them the, the very, very best of luck. And if they're going to go to the sorts of things, as I, I reiterate, you know, just be careful, practice at home, and uh, just be aware of any sharp objects. Post, post and pre-wedding, I would have thought. And uh, maybe have one of those airport scanner things before people go in as well. Might be a good idea. Is it fair to say that uh, we can tell them that Roos Bolton sends his regards? You can certainly say Roos Bolton sends his regards <laughs> with cherries on top. Hey, we want to thank our sponsors for giving us the money we need to feed our families. And this week, that's True TV. Misconceptions, myths, and marketing ploys are all around us. But thankfully, Adam Conover is back with new episodes of True TV's Adam Ruins Everything to reveal the awful truth about everything you take for granted. The electric car won't stop climate change, buying a home is a terrible investment, and divorce is actually good for society. It's a comedy that will make you see the world a little differently. You can check out Adam Ruins Everything Tuesdays at 10 on True TV. Hey, Mariana, what can we help you with? So I have had a jellyfish tank since about April, and I noticed that when I first got these jellyfish, they pretty much would, would float around the middle and eat whatever food that came. And um, I hadn't really been paying that much attention until I got a new one, but I noticed when I got the new one that the ones that had been there for a while had sort of figured out. It seemed like that they could pick up the food that had fallen to the bottom of the tank by sort of scooting along the bottom. And the new ones didn't do that and seemed to learn to do that after a little while in the tank. But it's my understanding that jellyfish don't have brains. So I don't know how they could learn that. Uh, can we just, first of all, you, so you have their pets. They would, you have jellyfish as pets. Yes. I'm, I'm just thinking about like when you have a jellyfish as a pet, what, what, what is that experience like? Is it mostly just kind of gazing at them? Uh, there's a lot of that. Um, <laughs> there's a little bit of, you know, there's a little bit of maintenance. You have to feed them. You have to change some of the water every so often like you do with, with any other fish. But mostly it's a lot of peaceful watching them float around. Well, is it like kind of like a living lava lamp? Very much, actually, yes. <laughs> and do they sting? They don't, actually. I mean, I, so at, at one point when one of them was injured, I did have to stick my hand in there and touch them, and, and I think it itched a little bit. Oh. All right, well, uh, we're going to look into this for you. Great. And thanks for telling us about your pets. They sound fascinating. Oh, I'm always happy to talk about them. Okay, Mariana, I think we have somebody who can help you. On the line with us now is Rebecca Helm. She's a researcher at the Woods Hole Oceanographic Institution, and she's studied jellyfish. So, Rebecca, can you teach a jellyfish tricks? I I don't know, but I really like that question because, you know, it sort of gets at what what do you need as an animal in order to learn? And so jellyfish don't have brains like all the other animals that, you know, humans have trained so far. Yeah. And so... You know, maybe not. If you really, if you need a brain in order to learn new things, then then I don't think jellyfish would really do very well at, at picking up a trick. But they do have neurons, and jellyfish essentially have a, a nerve net. So it's it's like a bunch of nerve cells that are just sort of spread out over the 
the animal. And maybe they're connected in, in just the right way and they could learn really simple things. My guess is that, you know, a lot of people would say probably not. Brains are really important. You need a brain. But I mean, who knows? Who really knows? You, you know, I think jellyfish are so, uh, in many cases, so maligned, probably mm-hmm. mostly because they sting. I wonder if you were trying to restore the reputation of the jellyfish, what are some cool things that we don't know about them that you might tell people? Okay. Well, one thing I like to tell someone that's been stung is that, uh, and I've been stung, so it really, it really can hurt. But having raised jellyfish, I know that oftentimes when they sting something like a person on accident, they'll lose tentacles also. And so they're also injured when they sting you, that would be one thing to keep in mind is that the poor jellyfish also ran into a giant person and lost a couple tentacles in the process. Really? So from their perspective, they're running into a human and they think that the human basically just stole some of their tentacles. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It, It can take a while for those tentacles to grow back. And that's really all they have to catch food with. So... It's a little bit of a bummer for them, too, I suspect. Oh, yeah. Do you think that uh, other fish look at jellyfish kind of like we look at gummy bears? <laughs> fish do definitely, some fish do look at jellyfish, for example, as protection. And will actually kind of sneak in and hide underneath the jellyfish to sort of get away from other predators that might try to eat them. Um, so it's not always, you know, jellyfish eating fish. It's also fish will hide in jellyfish. The fish will eat the jelly. So jellyfish so, are, they're like fish bodyguards. They can be. Yeah, they can be like great fish bodyguards. And a lot of body, I mean, bodyguards for a lot of different animals. There are crabs that have been found hiding on jellyfish and, and brittle stars, which are kind of like sea stars that hide on jellyfish. Um even I saw, I've seen a couple pictures of small um, sea turtles kind of camping out on jellyfish, just kind of chilling. Huh. So I think they can be uh, really nice bodyguards or at the very least like a nice rest stop for a lot of different animals. We were just uh, here at the office, we were just looking at these incredible videos of I think it was a comb jelly. Is that one of the bioluminescent? Yeah, comb jellies and jellyfish are also really different from each other, but they look super similar. And comb jellies have amazing bioluminescence in some species. It, it was, I mean, looking at these videos, it was hard to believe that that was uh, a biological organism because it looked like a, like organized LED display. Oh, cool. I love those guys where they kind of have the lights like moving all over the body and yeah. like zigzaggy patterns. What what is that uh, what does that do for them um, in in the wild? My guess, and you know what I've heard and talked to other people, there are a couple different things that that light show could be doing. One is say a predator starts to eat it. It's really dark because you're in the middle of the open ocean. Say you're you know maybe a thousand feet from the surface, not a lot of sunlight. You're getting eaten by something. You don't want to be eaten, so maybe you light up and kind of attract everything else that's around you by saying, hey, like, I'm being eaten, this is bad, and maybe a larger predator will see and come eat the thing that's eating you. Wow. So that's one possibility, is that it's sort of like a, a signal, don't eat me display. I, I think 
jellyfish, the all the images I've seen of them, they they are probably the most alien-looking creature on Earth. What is the strangest, most surprising of all of the jellyfish? Oh, whoa. That's a, the strangest and most surprising. That's hard. That's like, you know, asking me to, like, pick my favorite. I Oh, I think one of the most bizarre and surprising species would be something like the Portuguese man-o'-war. Uh-huh. And this is also called the blue bottle. I think it, it washes up on shore around the world in the summertime, ruins people's vacations, really bad sting. It has a big float on the top that it uses. It kind of looks like a water wing to sort of float along the surface and then all of these tentacles hanging down. And one of the crazy things about the man-o'-war is that it's not actually one single animal. It's a colony of animals that are all connected to each other. So they started as one egg, and then as the embryo developed and turned into a larva, the embryo or the larva started budding off these little bodies but rather than separating and becoming independent clones, they all stayed attached and specialized to do different jobs, kind of like the bees in a beehive, except that bees are all sort of flying around independent, but in the Manowar, all of these separate bodies kind of stay connected to each other. They share a gut, so what one body eats, all the other bodies get in their gut too. Oh. Uh, and somehow all of this is coordinated um, so that, you know, when they catch a fish, for example, all the little stomach bodies and mouth bodies will kind of swarm around and eat it. And it's really pretty crazy to see a man of war with a big fish because there'll just be lots of these little um, mouth bodies stuck to it, like suction cups all around, and they'll slowly digest these little rings out of it. It's very, very strange. Well, Rebecca, thank you so much for talking to us about jellyfish and for helping out Mariana. All right. Well, have a good one, you guys. Hey, we want to uh, take another moment to thank our sponsors, uh, which is the same sponsor, True TV. Not too long ago, we told you how misconceptions, myths, and marketing ploys are all around us. But Adam Conover is back with new episodes of True TV's Adam Ruins Everything. They reveal the awful truth about everything you take for granted, like uh, your family. The electric car won't stop climate change. Buying a home is a terrible investment. And divorce is actually good for society. It's a comedy that will make you see the world a little differently. Check out Adam Ruins Everything Tuesdays at 10 on True TV. For more information, rewind this episode to previous when we talked about this. There's a little more detail there, I think. That does it for this week's show. What'd you learn, Ian? I learned that uh, Portuguese man-o'-war is actually a bunch of uh, different animals together kind of pretending to be one animal. That's crazy. And I guess technically it should be called a Portuguese men-of-war because it's a bunch of Men of of war. Yes. Yeah. People of war. It is funny. As a society, we've moved on from a lot of the gender-biased terms. Businessman. You Mm -hmm. know, we say business person. Nobody says Portuguese person of war, which I I think it's time. Yeah, you're right. We have the first female 
nominee from a major party in the history of the United States. I think it's with that, I think it's time to start saying Portuguese person of war. But I do. it's more than one, right? It's all the separate entities. So it should be Portuguese people of war. Yes. Which just sounds menacing. It's that another term for that is a Portuguese army. I do think that the Portuguese man of war is a good, maybe a good um, analog for our great nation of the different things held together, working as one. I might say it's better for not our nation, but Portugal. Oh, there is an indicator that it's more more Portugal focused. <laughs> How to Do Everything is produced by Nadia Wilson with technical direction from Lorna White. Our intern this week is Ann Windham. She was uh, in charge of checking our moth traps. Once again, no moths in the in the studio. Our sweaters are safe. Thanks, Ann Windham. You can send us your questions. Send them to us at howto at npr.org. Our website is howtodoeverything.org. I'm Ian. And I'm Mike. Thanks. Thanks. Hey, it's the end of the episode. And uh, I think we... We learned a lot about true TV. We should take a moment just to appreciate that all of us made it through together. And we'll remind you about the new Planet Money episodes where they get in the oil business. Yeah. Planet Money, just like uh, all the other companies in the oil business you love, Exxon, Halliburton, uh, they'll follow it from the ground to your gas tank and find out who the people are who actually make our oil. It's actually old dinosaurs, isn't it? Uh, Dinosaurs are people too, I think is the message that Planet Money is going for. Find Planet Money on NPR One or at npr.org slash podcasts.